Hello, it's Matt and Becky here from Local Zero. Just a quick note to say before the episode starts that from April 2024, Local Zero will be looking for some new funding to keep it going. We never imagined when we started three years ago that we'd rack up tens of thousands of listens across 130 countries and with a website hosting over 80 episodes. We've also met and worked with some incredible people, including Chris Stark, Hannah Ritchie, Jim Ski, Hugo Tacom, and so many more. And we've been able to showcase so many amazing local climate initiatives from all over the UK and far beyond. But sadly, keeping the pod going costs money. If you or your organisation would like to partner up with the pod as we move into an exciting new chapter, then do reach out to us. You can contact us via our email, localzeropod at gmail.com. That's localzeropod at gmail.com. Alternatively, you can contact us on X, formerly Twitter, at localzeropod or on LinkedIn, direct to Matt Hannon or Rebecca Ford. Finally, to help us in our quest to secure funding, we want to hear positive stories from listeners about how the pod has influenced your life and your work. And we hope to do a very special episode on this too. So please help us continue the fight against climate change and bring local climate action to doorsteps across the world. Thanks for listening. Now back to the pod. Hello and welcome to Local Zero with Matt, Becky and Fraser. Throughout February, we've been talking to people who've been working hard over the past four years to help turn their communities into energy smart places, bringing together energy supply, demand, infrastructure and people and connect them in a smart way at a local level, like a town, city or region. So this is the third of four weekly episodes we're recording this month, covering some of the very exciting findings that are coming out of the UK government's Prospering from the Energy Revolution Programme, or PIFA for short. So if you've missed our previous two chats, first on policy and regulation and the second on finance, do go back and check them out. But this week, we'll be focusing on skills and the supply chain. Joining us later are Louise Alter from Equans, who are leading the Zero Carbon Rougely project. And we're also joined by Melanie Bryce from Scottish Southern and Electricity Networks, or SSEN for short, who are leading the Local Energy Oxfordshire project, or LEO project for short. And if you're a fan of Local Zero, do remember to subscribe. A small gesture from you that makes a massive difference for us and for the pod. Check out our website where you can search for episodes and listen back to the whole catalogue, localzeropod.com. You can also find us on Twitter at localzeropod or email longer thoughts or responses to localzeropod at gmail.com. Well, listen, I'm going to start with this. We had a lovely review from somebody called ACT Green. So thanks, ACT Green. Uh, we got a lovely comment from you. Top stuff from smart people. Too kind. Learn a lot about the complexity and pitfalls of local energy systems, decarbonisation and just transitions. But what I like about this, guys, is the emphasis on optimism, right? And that's something I'm not regularly accused of in my household anyway. <laughs> and a little plea, please keep translating the jargon and acronyms. So today, that is our homework. So thank you for that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think we're going to be talking about a lot of jargons today, aren't we? I guess like the news that we've seen uh, about Bayes. So so Matt, do you want to hit us up with that and, and tell us oh. all of these new wonderful acronyms we're going to be dealing with in the future? Yeah, rest in peace, Bayes. Rest of it. So, so apologies <laughs> to ACT Green. We're about to go into a jargon storm. So <laughs> many of you will be familiar, um, or some of you, the, the Department for Business, Energy, Industrial Strategy, or Bayes for short, was until... 
today as we're recording or yesterday, was responsible for energy strategy and all things kind of climate change, all things innovation, trade. It was a bit of a, a super group of former departments. And within that, we had the, the former Department for Energy and Climate Change, or DEC for short. And a few years back, DEC, along with other bodies, uh, Department for Business, Innovation and Skills as well, all lumped together into this super group. And really, Becky Fraser, a lot of the net zero thinking that has come out since then, net zero strategy and the policies have fallen out from this, this supergroup, this department of departments. I don't know that anyone's ever described Bayes as a supergroup <laughs> yes, before. Yes, yeah, the travelling Wilburys of, of the civil <laughs> and public service, uh, the Tom Petty's, George Harris's, all of these. So um, anyway, it, it, it doesn't exist anymore. And now we have the worst acronym of all time. It doesn't get any, it doesn't get any worse than this. Are you ready? The new department for for energy, climate, net zero is now called DESNES, which is <laughs> the Department for Energy Security and Net Zero. So there we go, DESNES, one acronym to rule them all. I I I, I challenge you to find a worse one. <laughs> it is pretty special. So, but anyway, I mean, yeah. What do you think about that? I mean, basically, this is quite a bold move, splitting up taking energy and climate change back into its own department mm. with an emphasis on security, but divorcing it from trade, business, innovation, science. How do you think this will play out? It's challenging. I, I, I kind of, I, I understand the division of those things, the way that they're set out to give each of, each that individual attention, but something that we've, we've struggled with a lot so far and something that's been highlighted time and again is the need for whole systems thinking, the need for a joined up approach across all different departments, for, for less siloed working, for more, more collaboration. And I think however, however Bayes worked before, and I'm sure it had a lot, of, a lot of issues on that front, there's definitely a little bit of a worry that splitting these things out, things that are in, inherently linked together, and, and net zero has to underpin all of them in some way, um, may, may put up some of those partitions again. I mm-hmm. hope not, but that's instinctively um, something that we need to be be mindful of, or rather that these new departments need to be mindful of themselves. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I kind of have been too mindful about this. I think it's really interesting. Part of me thinks, you know, decoupling the focus on energy and net zero from business and growth could in some ways be liberating. Um, but I think you're right. I think the devil's going to really be in the detail of how these things come together to make sure that where we are within net zero, and, and maybe we can be more ambitious around some of our thinking in net zero now that it is decoupled from these other departments, but we really still need to make sure that it underpins really everything that's that's yeah. happening in the UK. And so I think it's, it's going to come down to how those connections continue to be made and the opportunities for that. Yeah, it's this kind of tricky balance between having a, you know, a laser-like focus and a ring fence budget for mm-hmm. certain stuff like climate and net zero versus being a much smaller department that's operating on the fringes of you know uh, some of the larger mm-hmm. departments, aka the Treasury. Um, and really, my instinctive, obviously, we've just kind of had this news, but my instinctive response is that these uh, three new departments, so, so one for science, one for trade and business, and uh, and the other for, for energy and climate, they're going to have to work mm-hmm. very closely together to make a case to Treasury to get the money to be brought down. And that that old, that, that wicked term of systems thinking, I think we've already had, um, how do you do systems thinking across departments? So if, if you're a public or a civil servant out there and you've got some hot tips, let us know. We'd love to hear from you. I, um, I want to also... You know, I think this actually leads 
beautifully into what we're going to be talking about today around skills and supply chain, because we have these phenomenal ambitions. I'm probably still going to call them ambitions at this stage in the UK around net zero. And we have an understanding of what that actually means in terms of delivering it, thanks to you know the great work of the CCC and others, or the Climate Change Committee and others. Mm-hmm. Um, what we don't seem to have is the mechanisms that will allow that to be delivered. So, you know, case in point, and this is one that I've been sort of experiencing directly through through my husband, is around the the workforce that we're going to need to transition our homes from the heating systems we have now to the heating systems of the future, which is probably going to be heat pumps for most of us. And yeah. it's it's such a it's a trade that is going to require a huge number of new jobs, new skills, and training. And my husband's trying to retrain in this space and can't get a company to sponsor him through the the course that he needs to do in order to train. Mm. And it just feels like the dots have not been connected. So we have this ambition. We have financial incentives for people that want to retrain. So my husband can get um, financial incentive to enable him, but he can't get a company to sponsor him because there is no incentive for these companies. So, so that's a really interesting point. I mean, I think you've got this opportunity to retrain, but you know what frightens the bejesus out of me is when you look at things like net zero, but more recently, it's, the focus has been on nurses and doctors and dentists. Um, it takes an age to get certain individuals, not just high skill, but you know, for, right through that whole spectrum to get people trained up to know what they're doing. Now, you can't do that overnight, and we really don't have very long to deliver on net zero at all. Uh, and if you're looking at some of these eye-watering, eye-watering targets for heat pumps, well, who is going to install them, Becky? And if it's not your husband, then who is it? And where are they going to be? And how are they going to trade? No, it's a really, really challenging environment. And I think, you know, as I said, the, the, the industry is aging. There are real challenges around diversity in the industry. And I think that's actually reflected in the lack of different points of entry. So I think, you know, we're still seeing a lot of support for people coming in at that apprentice level, but that is not going to be enough. We need to have more diverse parts into the industry and we need to see that put in place because unless we can have that, so unless we can see the funding and the support and the incentives for those different pathways, we're never going to join that up with our net zero ambitions. Mm. And that's just one example, right? There are so many. Yeah, yeah. I think that's spot on, Becky. And, and out of the, the work that we did around prospering from the, the energy revolution, a, a lot of that talking to people who have been working in these industries for time, something that we'd heard was that that kind of that pipeline, uh, the skills, the incentives to do it, but on a long-term scale with certainty for industry, they'd been burned with things like the Green Homes Grant, which was there and then it wasn't. And then that support, that incentive to upskill was gone. So building that in, um, again, starting now because the clock is ticking, is is key to this. We can get it done. I think there's viable solutions there, but it yeah. has to it has to be long term and it has to be certain. And we need to make it more attractive to different folks. Yeah. So I was uh, I was in a workshop yesterday and I heard a statistic from uh, one of your wonderful colleagues, our wonderful colleagues at Regen Fraser, about the fact that women in this particular industry only make up two percent of all the workforce. Yeah. and I thought that yeah, is shocking. 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 So there's something very important here. You know, it's not the kind of old adage of build it and they will come. No pun intended on the the building 
point. But if you put you can't put the architecture in place and just assume people will want to train as a heat pump installer, this has got to be attractive. This has got to be well paid. It's got to be desirable, meaningful, fulfilling work. And this is where we have an opportunity. And this is where you know net zero bleeds into this idea of a just transition. So how do we make these attractive? This should be like the first question, not the last one. It's not like, oh, we need 8,000 you know, uh, installers in this postcode you know, over the, the next 10 years. How do we make this attractive? If it's attractive, people will want to train and want to take that work up. What does that look like? I'm not even sure we're having that discussion yet. It's still, <laughs> you know, it's still talking about skills and supply chains and you know, how do we make this desirable? For a lot of people, it's I, I think that's a great point, Matt, and I think it links to Becky's point before nicely. It's is that the the access is limited, but for a lot of people, they don't under maybe not understand, but don't know what these jobs look like. They don't know where they are. They don't know who they're for. Especially if you get into sort of more technical sort of technical levels of that, it's it's difficult. There's not a huge amount of promotion of it. There isn't really the 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 training sort of out there at this moment in time to to access, let alone at a scale. In such, in such a way that it's going to be viable for people to, to retrain across the board, right? So I think that's that, that just transition element is is bang on and it's so, so critical. We talk a big game on the jobs that, that Net Zero can offer and the opportunity really is massive, yeah. but we have to get to work now on making that happen in practice. So before we get into today's talk, this is my plea, is if you work in this industry, yeah. if you run a company like this, like reach out to us, let us know what's going on. If you've got a job for my husband, I'm not ashamed to, you know, <laughs> yeah. like, use local zero and stuff yeah. like that. But like, we want to hear from you. How are you pulling new people into the industry if you're doing it? Because I can't see it happening and I'd love to hear from folk on the ground who are actually doing and delivering this but perhaps that is a beautiful time to invite our guests in hi i'm louise alter i work uh, for equans as an energy innovation manager and i lead the zero carbon rugely detail design project in the people program hi i'm melanie bryce i'm the oxfordshire program director at scottish and southern electricity networks and i've been leading the project local energy oxfordshire leo for the past four years so looking forward to sharing some of it with you today Thank you for joining us, Louise. Thanks for joining us, Mel. It's great to have you both here and to be talking a little bit about the two projects that you've both been involved in and particularly thinking about that from what all of this means for the skills, the supply chains, the new ways that people, whether workers or I guess users of energy systems need to be interacting with it. But before we dive in in too much detail, maybe we could just start by learning a little bit more about the projects that you've both been leading and you know how they're doing things differently and, and why this is really important. So maybe Louise, could you kick us off? So Zero Carbon originally has started just under three years ago. Um, basically, the idea was to develop a smart local energy system for Rugely on the back of a regeneration project. Um, so there used to be a coal power station in Rugely, and now that has closed and that has sparked that regeneration um, that is looking to be uh, zero carbon. Uh, the idea is we are looking at transport, housing and, and the energy system and how those things fit together um, and specifically how they impact and involve the community that is in Rugely, acknowledging that they have a central role and that their kind of buy-in and leadership is key uh, to achieve that transition. And Mel, tell us a bit about Leo. Um, yeah, so Leo has been going for four years now. It was three years, but we got 
got an extra year um, because of the pandemic. So that's been great because we've been able to move things forward that, that little bit further than we would have been able to do. And it's really about getting markets for flexibility to operate in Oxfordshire. And by that, I mean the ability of assets to be able to turn their generation and demand up and down in response to a signal from the distribution system operator who looks after all the wires and cables from the cutout in your home um, right up to the circuit breaker um, at the grid supply point. So we've been looking at that for the last four years. We've been looking at developing the markets, which has meant starting from a blank sheet of paper and really looking at the concepts, developing the concepts and then moving them into more of a, a trial situation. So we've been recruiting people, recruiting assets that are able to deliver flexibility and test and trial our market design and also the systems that need to be in place in order for that to be able to be delivered. Now, it's very much a demonstrator project. So for this to work well, we had to make sure that our pounds were exchanged and also kilowatt hours were displayed on the system. So it's a real demonstrator project. And part of the outputs that we're looking for is um, investable business models. So we wanted to be able to test and trial, you know, whether this was an investable business model for assets and for people, you know, whether that be demand side response or whether that be, say, a solar farm. So we've been looking at that piece and then also the big collaborative piece. So building a collaborative set of people who are able to learn from each other has been a key part of the project. So looking at that from a sort of whole systems perspective, so working closely with the local authorities, for example, has been a big output of the project as well. So Louise Mel, I'm wondering if you could translate the two projects that you've mentioned and into into why this will make a difference to businesses and householders in, in the future. How do you see some of the demonstration projects that you're involved with and the innovations that are coming out actually changing people's lives in the home and the workplace? So for me, um, the big output in the longer term is that people are able to connect more low carbon technology and connect it more quickly if we can demonstrate flexibility at the very edge of the grid. That is, that is the big output for me. Um, that we can increase the uptake of low-carbon technologies and therefore accelerate um, the path to net zero. So is that about getting more onto the network and giving people the opportunity to connect their own generation that, that maybe didn't otherwise? That might be uh, rooftop solar, but it could also be a, you know, a larger, small-scale project that from you know a local farm or uh, you know a business. Yeah, I, th I, th I think it's more along the lines of those elements um, of society today that are you know driven very much by fossil fuels so things like your heating and your transport those are the two areas that we really need to decarbonize first so so yeah so it's putting in heat pumps and putting in electric vehicles those are the the two sort of key things so demand yeah but often that is backed off with people wanting to do you know, I th think that is the the um the sort of the distribution system operator angle, but from the householder angle, you know, it's all about optimizing behind the meter and what can you do in terms of batteries and solar panels and electric vehicles and you know demand side response aggregation, getting everything um into your into your smartphone and being able to to um to to measure and change things at the at the touch of a swipe. Great. So creating head headroom to connect this this demand, which is absolutely imperative. We're going to electrify everything. Well, some people would 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 suggest we need to electrify our heat and transport. Louise, project you're involved with. How, how might that change my life or, or yours in the in the uh, in the home or the workplace? 
So I think for, for kind of the more industrial side and for the kind of wider system side, it's really about integrating the system. I think a lot of the solutions that exist at the moment are great on their own, but cannot really be developed on their own uh, because they are reliant on other things in the system existing or happening. So if you think about transport and heating, for example, as Mel just said, then that's great to electrify that. But if we electrify everything at once and don't actually think about the fact that we're doing both the heating and the transport, then there is a risk that you know, one will kind of hinder the other in the development that is required. So it is taking that step back and, and having that system thinking. In terms of how it will change, I think, the 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 communities that that these smart local energy systems are developed in, it's really about um, involving the community with energy. Until now, energy was something that just wasn't really thought about. It was just always there. It wasn't the plug. And what we found talking with a lot of people in the communities is that actually when you ask them what you know what is behind that how does it actually arrive the, the the main answer was oh the power station that used to be here but actually the system is so much more complex and it is for people to understand that complexity and acknowledge it and benefit from it i think there's a lot of things that you know they can benefit from but it's about you know first understanding and then benefiting but and also seeing what could be an issue if it's not thought about properly at the beginning Fraser is nodding along vigorously as you talk about yeah, engaging I, I, people I, in new ways. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm going to say I've, I've got my question bold capital letters for, for later in the conversation. But uh, Becky, Becky. <laughs> Uh, no, I think I think it's great. It's definitely, uh, Mel, when you were chatting, I had this vision pop into my head and it's not the first time it has of sort of the Jetsons home of the of the future. And, you know, you think way back, I don't even know when the Jetsons came out, but I just, it still sort of comes to my mind as what, what life could be like. But I guess whichever route we're talking about, and these are clearly very different projects, but both really sort of driving forward quite, exciting and substantial changes in the energy system like what does this mean for how they are delivered do we need to see people bringing new skills do we need to see entirely different jobs coming to the table um you know mel you mentioned about collaboration um being a a big thing and working together and i think Typically, we see a lot of siloed work in this space. So how is the how are the changes in these projects bringing new sorts of uh, requirements for how we run these systems? So for me, it, it, it goes um, into two different areas for me, this sort of skills piece. Um, there's the general, what I call the general energy skills, general energy knowledge, which as part of Project LEO, um, we have really worked hard at and to start off with that was something that was a little bit of a barrier but as we moved through the project um, we were able to start to speak a more common language we did have a glossary for a while to help everyone understand some of the slightly more technical terms I think we've we are um, as an industry not very good in terms of acronyms we use far too many so making sure that they are all well understood um, and the basics of of electricity and how it flows and how it works you know that's not something that is in in everyone's 
um, repertoire. So, so really building up that knowledge across the community groups, across the councils, across some of the other partners that we had um, was really important to start off with. So, so that's that kind of general upskilling, um, specifically uh, with the councils, I would say, because it's not their um, first th- port of call. They've got a lot of, lot of other things to be thinking about unless they're large enough to have a specific energy department. So, so that is somewhere that definitely needs to be um, upskilled. Uh, and then we have the the other um, side. So we have the the side that is looking at actually participating in these flexibility markets, and that level of understanding of the whole electricity system, energy system needs to be increased as well. So that when say an aggregator goes to engage on providing flexibility, they have that basic level of knowledge to be able to actually understand what it is that the aggregator is after so that's the kind of general knowledge of the of the energy industry that needs to be across a lot more of the population and to be fair from the start of leo till the end of leo that has increased massively you wouldn't at the big four years ago have had people sitting in the pub talking about electric vehicles when you get an electric vehicle have you got your charge point how many hours do you get on your battery that wouldn't really have been a conversation whereas at the end of Leo now four years later that is the sort of conversation people are having so you know that is already happening so those are the sort of general skills and then we have the more specific skills so in order for us to run the network in a smart way um, we need to have a lot of data and digital skills so we need to make sure that we are gathering information on the network with greater monitoring but then we also need to be able to analyze that in a much more sophisticated way using probabilistic forecasting and another you know very tricky mathematical techniques so so yeah so we run um quite a few programs we started a data and digital apprentice program we have a program that is run in conjunction with the IET um, which is fast tracking engineers and putting them onto summer placements and we have another program which takes people who are maybe not first and foremost electrical engineers but can with a little bit of of tuition then go on to do some of the more electrical engineering skills so so yeah so that's our way of sort of tackling that skills gap at the moment yeah wow that's a that's a lot like the 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 general knowledge and as you were saying that about the electric vehicle I was thinking oh I wonder I actually don't know what mine uses and I probably should be able to participate in that conversation but it is it's a it is a very it is a changing um a changing space and a lot of really interesting skills there I'm wondering Louise like you mentioned at the start that in Rugeley you've you've seen this shift away from the coal power station and into something quite different I mean does the fact that there used to be that coal power station there with obviously like the history of what jobs and employment in the region look like have an impact on your project like what are you what are you seeing in terms of these new jobs new skills and I think more importantly appetite in the community to engage with those so I think um yeah it's, it's a pretty unique place because of that uh, power station that there used to be I think there are a lot of skills that could be tapped into um, that really just require well upskilling basically so the kind of basic knowledge remains the same um but this specific technology will change and therefore you know there's some training around that that is required and that currently isn't being done um, and isn't being promoted by um the businesses that are in the area because of um you know lack of policies lack of um security around pipeline and things like that um but yeah, I, I, just going back to your question, I think there's definitely a 
requirement for upskilling uh, on all of the things that Mel already mentioned around the community, around the council, around the kind of more high high level skills. But also in terms of boots on the ground, we really see that there is a huge problem if we were to actually scale up um, and deliver the solution, we would start having a real problem to implement anything. Uh, the supply chains are completely overrun, so everyone has already committed to uh, SHDF or the like. Break that down, break that down for us, the acronym. Sorry, sorry, yes. Um, uh, social housing decarbonization. Fund, yeah. <laughs> Fund. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm so used to the accents. <laughs> yeah. So the supply chain is already kind of committed to working on that for the next two years because that's kind of the best commitment they can get right now. There is no other commitment. Yeah. There isn't a kind of 30 year, you know, we're going there, we're retrofitting that many houses and there's the money and how we're going to get that doesn't exist. Same thing for EV charge points, right? Right now it's driven really by private companies that put them onto their parking lots to attract specific customers. But really the local authority is, you know, as much as they're trying to to understand where they would put those charge points and which ones are the right one, yeah. how do they actually engage? Do they have enough capacity on the grid? In Rugeley, probably not. Yeah, I, I can feel my anxiety levels kind of rising as we talk because I think on the one hand, you know, the UK is facing a, a skills crisis in general. Uh, I'm talking way, you know, out, out beyond net zero. But given the scope of net zero you know, when we're talking about almost any sector, there's a skills shortage, it's going probably going to be in the crosshairs of net zero. And then we're starting to talk about much more, uh, you know, I would, I would talk, you know, um, uh, sectors which are very much within the confines or the stable of energy. And you've, you've mentioned this quite clearly. So what I'm wondering is, is this, is this a problem that's been growing for many, many years that is kind of, unique to energy, that we just don't have the pipeline of skills? Or is this something that's occurred more recently as we've seen skills dry up more generally? I guess I'm trying to say, is this an energy thing or an economy thing? Have you any sense of that? Or even worse, is it both? (laughs) I would say it's both. (laughs) I would say it's both. I, I think what we've seen is that a lot of the kind of recessions and the way government has run, um, the recovery from the recession has pushed a lot of people out of that workforce that we are now really desperately needing and so the kind of top management that would be able to train um new people new apprenticeships uh can now no longer just doesn't exist they've left the sector they've left the country they've you know changed careers that they haven't made the that those kind of skills that we now need attractive enough um and the career paths behind that clear enough and as that happens i think you know between yeah, the people leaving and the people going into different sectors and years and years of recessions and recoveries that were poorly managed. It's just, I would say it's everywhere. Mel, are you are you of the same mind? Okay, so I'm going to come in on a positive note here. Oh, so good. Think, That's good. Thank you. <laughs> I think that, um, you know, with the drive to net zero and all the climate change challenges that we are seeing now, that the energy sector is the place to be. And I think we are seeing a lot more talented people wanting to come and work in energy who potentially before wouldn't have seen it as somewhere they wanted to go and work. So from that point of view, I think there's there's definitely a way of recruiting people, but I think they are interested in energy in its broadest sense rather than the actual technical detail of, you know, say running an electricity network. So it's really for me thinking a little bit 
wider out of the box in terms of of the skills and the degrees that you actually you actually actually need and what you can work with and then train to do what you actually need to do um so so yeah so it is a it is definitely a combination of, of both of the you know the economy has certainly not helped but i am um you know i'm pretty buoyant about the future with the number of graduates that we are recruiting at the moment and how you know energized and involved they want to be and and you know really got a great purpose in terms of wanting to work in the energy industry well g- given that we are or at least i am a fraser and becky uh have <laughs> flown the nest but as, as an academic we're always very interested to see you know where our graduates move to and, and what happens there so as as the uh, i don't want to refer to my um students as as uh, as um, small birds but as the canary down the coal mine of of that kind of net zero pipeline and skills uh, what are we seeing? Are we are you seeing the types of graduates that you, you you want to with the types of skills or or not? Because I guess if they're not coming through now, then we've got a real problem in five, 10, 15 years. Yeah, I think probably to emphasize there's lots of different routes in as well. Graduates, one of them. But there's lots of others in as well. So, you know, we have technical trainees and we have apprenticeships and and all sorts of, of different ways into the into the industry and, you know, people who are, want a career change and, and all of that sort of thing. So so yeah, I mean the the graduates have you know they have their their technical ability and they are usually more sort of academic. So you know that's always useful. But you know we need a broad spread of of people really to make sure that we're getting all that diversity of thought that you need to make the right sorts of decisions. That's really heartening. That's really heartening to hear. I can see you nodding, Fraser, about the non the, the non technical. So I wasn't I wasn't trying to say it's exclusively graduates are going to save planet Earth. That's nonsense. But it needs a blend. So, so Fraser, I know you've talked a lot about this, about you know the, those kind of pathways for you know non-graduate uh, upskilling for net zero. Yeah, I think that's important. I think uh, Becky touched on it earlier, and I think Mel Mel touched on some of it some of it there just now. But I think sticking with with the optimism for a second, in terms of the the skills required for smart local energy systems and for for net zero more broadly, right? Where they're not necessarily specific, although some of them are. But there are lots of opportunities sort of across the board in anything from uh, from industry, trades, uh, fitters and installers, which require their own incentives and their own support, uh, through to project managers with expertise in the energy system, to, to data and digital, and to those, I, want, I don't want to say soft skills, but those more sort of uh, communications, engagement, convening, those kinds of there's skills across the board here that are that are required and opportunities, I would say. So when Louise talks about a community like uh, like the one that she's been working with in, in Rugeley, and I know communities that, that I've worked with separately and from, from different people work, um, it's not just for graduates. I think you're spot on, Matt, and I know that's not what you were trying to say, um, but there are other opportunities there. What we lack just now are the wider spread, that, that longer term pipeline, I think, that, that Louise was talking about there. And the, the wider spread sort of, I guess, recognition of that opportunity in action for a for a, a nice way way to put it. Yeah, I think also not forgetting the entrepreneurs. <laughs> we need risk takers <laughs> as well. Yeah. <laughs> you know, not everyone's idea is to go into a nice sort of big company, you know, graduate job. You know, there, there needs to be um, people who are prepared to, you know, really stake everything on their idea and absolutely 
you know, think it is the the right thing to do. And we see quite a lot of that. We've seen a bit of that on the project with some of the startups that we've had involved with things like, um, you know, aggregators, people putting their, their own platforms out there. You know, that is really important in terms of, you know, some of those those gaps that we we are not going to be filled in by the, the larger companies. So we also need people who are entrepreneurs and, and risk takers um, who are going to be able to to do that sort of thing as well. I mean, just on that, I, I think it's really, really interesting to hear what's happening, uh, Mel, particularly with the kind of in SSEN and, and perhaps the electricity networks sector, where you are talking about quite big companies and providing these different diverse career paths in. I think, interestingly, you know, we talked a bit about the fact that a lot of this is going to see changes on the demand side, so for people and for a lot of those technologies. And when you start to look at those smaller scale technologies, like heat pumps and the like, and perhaps even, you know, retrofit that has to underpin some of those changes, that industry seems to be made up of a bit of a different nature to the networks, right? We see a lot more smaller businesses, um, you know, SMEs and so on. So how are they reacting? Um, you know, maybe Louise, you, the project you're involved in is quite diverse. There's a lot of engagement with that in community. Like, are you seeing a challenge in that kind of smaller industry space? And um, if so, like, what, what do we need to be doing differently to make sure that there's a diverse career pathway in the same way that we're starting to see it emerge in those kind of electricity networks? I think it comes back to that pipeline where the SMEs really need to invest into upskilling their workforce to be able to understand all of the new technologies and to collaborate, as Mel said at the beginning, with other uh, partners that are normally siloed out. And those people currently, you know, aren't being trained because there isn't um, an idea of, you know, long-term need for, for that kind of skill set. So it really is about, you know, I think that the large companies can have a more facility of investing into innovation without necessarily seeing the pipeline because it is the, the business model is just different, right? Whereas SMEs really need that turnaround permanently of making sure that every, every investment needs to be revenue backed on a longer term, you know, seven year cycle or whatever it is. And right now that seven year cycle, we everyone talks about net zero, but I mean, Bays shut down yesterday. So where's security in anything anymore? Yeah. Well, I, I, without sounding like I'm doing too much market research from the business school I work for, because these are the kind of things we're thinking about, how, how we can you know tool businesses up to do this. Uh, Louise Mel, what, what kind of support do these companies need? What We have a relatively short period of time to skill people up, to inform companies to make the right decisions about net zero. We've got, we've got one shot at this, right? to avoid climate breakdown. So we so we need to be in the best position possible. What kind of support would you like to see out there? So I think that there is quite a lot of support out there for SMEs. Um, there's a lot of free training uh, that is available for you know specific region. There's a or they there there is still a lot of support through ERDF to help SMEs transition. So they're the the ones that are kind of they need to transition themselves and the one that have kind of the workforce that needs to um, upskill or change a bit its 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 you know ways of working. Um, the problem is really that I think in that support it's not necessarily thought about that uh, SMEs don't have time to send their staff on a week 
training. So how do you incentivize, and I don't have the solution, wish I did, but how do you incentivize SMEs and how do you enable them to get that training that they actually desperately need, that transition that could you know, enable them? We've, we've put out some training, for example, um, to get people upskilled and three companies did reach out, but all of these companies are already a bit in that sector. They're basically going to benefit from growing on that, which is absolutely great. But some other SMEs we reached out to um, where there was genuinely free, uh, there was grant money available to do um, some work. Most companies just didn't come back to us because they're aware that they're going to need to spend a day, you know, explaining to them just their operations and all of that. And then, you know, they lose that day, even though at the end, you know, they will win, win. They will get a solar panel or whatever it is that will save them their bills, but they are not able to make those decisions because there's not enough money in the system. So Louise, you, you talked before, um, right at the very beginning, about the importance of, of engagement, working with communities, supporting communities, letting sort of supporting communities to, to take the lead. And this is shaken out across all of the, the people work that we've looked into, that we chatted about. How critical are those those engagement and those those capacity building skills for for developing these projects at scale, appreciating that these are changes to how people are expected to use the energy system get around their towns and cities, etc. How crucial are these uh, engagement and and community facing skills? I, mean, I think it's critical. <laughs> you said that already. How critical? All the way up critical. It's uh, it's. I mean, without the communities, the solutions won't be adequate and won't be picked up. And if they don't pick them up, then might as well not. Quite frankly, there are so many initiatives that have been tried. After National Grid put out that call to say, oh, you know, you can get paid. Um, to not use your electricity. I went onto their Twitter and I had a look and it was all about like, oh, unfair in the system. And it was just about lack of understanding about the opportunity that actually that kind of system and, and tariffs is, right? So it is essential that we bring the communities and the solution is fit for the community and not for the designer that sits somewhere completely different and doesn't understand the context and the background of those communities. And Mel, any final thoughts on that? Yeah, well, having worked through um, Leo with you know lots of different groups, you know, be, be they community groups, local authorities, it is absolutely key that you know there is understanding of the way that these energy markets work, and it isn't very easy to understand at the moment. So, so we really have, you know have worked well with them to be able to to bring that knowledge up, and and without uh, you know the people on board, then we're not really going to be able to deliver deliver what we need. So that is a a really important point when it comes to engagement. I'd like to normally wrap things up by asking you to summarise some of the the key thoughts you've had in just a few words. So the the question I'd like to put, and initially to Mel, please, which uh, no more than 10 or 15 words. If you were asking our new minister, what what would be your number one plea in terms of making sure that we're net zero fit in terms of skills and supply chain, you had what you had one ask. What would you be asking? Be asking to make sure that we have the right number of places for people to go and, and study the technology, the technology type subjects that we're going to need. You know, not just engineering, but all your data and digital as well. Making sure that we've got a really strong cohort of those skills coming coming up through our universities. Wonderful. I'm very clear and very valuable. Thank you. Louise, you've got one one policy ask and only one. Um, that's really difficult. <laughs> I think I would um, 
I would ask for a a defined uh, pipeline and kind of program to be created with a ring-fenced finance piece behind it that enables that delivery um, of net zero. Lovely. Well, I want to thank you, Louise. Thank you, Mel, very much for your insights. It's been a pleasure having you along uh, and, and we look forward to hearing more about your respective projects. Thank you. That's great. Thank you. You've been listening to Local Zero. Remember to join us next week for our next PIFA special episode on impact and engagement. If you haven't already, go subscribe to the pod wherever you get your podcasts. Find and follow us at Local Zero Pod on Twitter. Also, we're trending on Mastodon at hashtag Local Zero Pod. Or if you want a longer form email, localzeropod at gmail.com. There you can share some longer thoughts. And if you do have one spare minute, please leave a review if you can and help us climb our way up the podcast charts. But for now, thank you very much and goodbye. Bye-bye. 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 Produced by the Spoken Media.